0: 5G's high data rates are pushing the optical connections beginning at the radio and then through to the network. One of the ways to increase data rates, at least to double them, without adding additional bandwidth, is to use a modulation called PAM4, which sets up four levels so that each level represents two bits, as opposed to the previous scheme, which was a simple. But PAM4 brings with it new problems on both the electrical side and on the optical side. To learn more about how this works, we spoke with Raza Khan of Semtech. What's happened, of course, is that data rates have gotten too high for NRZ non-return to zero. And so the replacement for that PAM4, pulse amplitude modulation, with four levels, PAM4 is a modulation scheme that has become popular over the last roughly 10 years that I know of, uh, particularly in the, uh, in the electrical side, but now in the optical side as well. Tell us a little bit about the signal for levels. And usually we see those levels represented in what's called an eye diagram which is many, many bits overlaid on each other. It's oscilloscopes can all do that, uh, whether they're for electrical or for optical uh, communications. Tell us uh, a bit about PAM-4 in terms of what the four levels represent.
1: The easiest way to understand you know, the benefits of PAM-4 is to really see exactly as you mentioned, the four levels allow to send more information Within the same kind of baud rate. So if we were comparing 25 gigabits NRZ, that's two levels, zero and one. PAM4 really allows you to have four levels, which allow you to um, utilize two bits. So you could do 00, zero, zero 01, 10, one, zero, or 11 one, one type of levels, which essentially maintains the baud rate at the same 25. but allows you to double the bitrate so you could get 50 gigabits of information with the same baud rate. And that's really key into allowing the infrastructures to adapt twice the bandwidth. And keeping the baud rate same is also a very good means to keep the cost low, Because then all the PCB designs, all the other aspects of the infrastructure, including some of the optics, can remain sort of at the 25 gigawatt level because it's the same frequency, but you're now modulating it at a complex modulation. So, you know, I I like to break it down into the simplest terms to understand whether, you know, if you have a flashlight and I'm flashing it to you, I'm just turning it on and off. And you're interpreting that signal as one or zero. Now I have a flashlight that has intensity in it. So either it's be fully off or it's gonna be a little bit on, then more darker and then fully on. Um, So that gives you more information within the same kind of medium. So PAM4 really is now allowing the infrastructures to utilize twice the bandwidth, upgrading their network to support the higher data requirements without the burden of uh, the baud rate increase you don't get something for nothing
0: the nice thing about nrz is you have some you have a maximum level and and a minimum level but with pam4 you don't want to expand the maximum level to make it higher if anything you want it to be lower but now because you have four levels you have three what's called eye openings, as opposed to one. So they're now smaller than we had before. So what are some of
1: the issues that come up when you have smaller eye openings? From a technical point of view, PAM4 seems like the right way, but it has those challenges that need to be addressed. And as you introduce more levels within the same kind of block, you have to be a lot more careful of signal integrity. Some of the key Challenges, or I would say aspects that could degrade that signal are going to be, you know, how the optics are used, what fiber lengths are used, but keeping the eye openings as wide as possible in the sense that when the far end equipment is receiving the signal, they should be able to interpret that level properly, whether it's the lowest level or it's one of the middle two levels or it's the highest level. That is really the goal. When we send information from A to B, the equipments on both sides can understand. It's easier said than done. There's so many aspects to it that, from a technical point of view, it can degrade signals in PAM4. From both the electrical aspect, but also a lot more complexities from physics in the fiber and the optics itself and that's where the challenges come and the ic technologies that all the companies are working on or the optics that the the optical companies are working on they all kind of work together to address and minimize those degradations so when a pam4 signal is launched it is interpreted at the right level at the far end and that's where you know keeping those eye openings as wide as possible and as clean as possible is the essence of it.
0: When transmitting optically, the longer the path, the more distorted the signal becomes. In in optical, in fiber optics, the bits tend to stretch out and become wider as you get longer and longer lengths. Is that more of a problem with PAM 4 than it was with NRZ or some people call it PAM 2. Does that stretching of the bits become
1: more of an issue with PAM 4? That's another way to look at that, how, you know, you can also pin the question the other way. Can you achieve the same reaches with PAM 4 links versus what you were getting? And for the most part, I think the phenomenon that you are mentioning, you know, one of the things we look at is called dispersion. Dispersion is really an optical effect that happens as the signal travels through the fiber. But dispersion is also heavily related to the wavelength or the color of the signal that's being launched. So some links that are working at 1310 nanometer, that wavelength is the minimal dispersion. So theoretically, there is very little um, chromatic dispersion with that signal when it's transmitted on the fiber. But there's obviously some variation to that. Nothing is perfect. So when that wavelength shifts from, from 1310 nanometer, you start to see that uh, the signals, as you mentioned correctly, get stretched. In a way, they're just appearing at the other end at different time intervals. So that's what creates the effect of that stretching. And chromatic dispersion is one key aspect that distorts the signals and limits the amount of fiber that can be used. Um, and like I said, it's heavily dependent on the wavelength. So with certain links operating exactly as 13, 10 nanometers, we may be able to do, you know, slightly longer reaches. But the other aspect that's important is the aspect of just loss. There's optical loss as the signal travels in the fiber. That is also dependent on the wavelength. So 1310 nanometer is actually a pretty high loss optically, but it's less for dispersion. Whereas the other wavelengths that are common in this industry are 1550 nanometers, which is higher for dispersion, but lower for loss. So it's a it's a very balancing act that has to be done. PAM for only complicates a little bit more. So for the more most part, I think the between 25 gig NRZ and 25 gigabaud PAM4, which is 50 gigabits, we've been able to maintain most of the reaches as they were in 25 gig. Maybe there's some impact that you know will be about 30% or so in terms of the reaches. Um, but for the most part, we've been able to develop optics and ICs that can accommodate that. Um, but as we go continue in the PAM4 direction at the next node, it will be, I think, um another key shift happening. That the reaches will be uh, quite different than what we have today.
0: How does this uh, dispersion affect that eye opening, which is so critical in being able to detect an amplitude level and therefore a combination of two bits? How does that how does that uh, change with because of the dispersion?
1: Yeah, essentially, if you have one edge coming in one instant of time and the other edge is appearing at a different instant in time. It makes it very stretched. So the eye opening gets reduced a lot. And what that means for the far-end receiver, that now they cannot understand what level is coming to them. And that's what causes a bit error. We we can't understand whether we're sending um, a zero, zero or a zero, one or a one zero or a one-one level. So essentially dispersion is a physics limitation that we just have to live with. There's other things we can do optically to compensate for dispersion. You know, you can have a lot of clever tricks, but they sometimes are not used in the links that you're referring to from the radio to the equipment, because they are very high on power consumption, and they're very costly. Um, So those links, um, those types of uh, dispersion compensation is useful when you have to drive, you know, hundreds of kilometers of distance, then you absolutely need something to compensate for that phenomenon but in the shorter links you just have to live with the dispersion and the reach is kind of limited to to what physics allow but essentially to your question martin it really lowers the eye opening width and the height so on a oscilloscope if you see that it would mean that the eye opening shrinks more and more as you have higher and higher dispersion the other thing about PAM4 is because
0: you have four levels instead of two let's let's imagine that we have a a bit And let's say it's a zero and it's at the lowest amplitude level and, or actually in this case, a zero, zero at the lowest amplitude level, depending on the next pair of bits, it could go up one step, two steps or three steps. If it goes up, say, one step, then the edge can reach its, or the the signal can reach its destination in less time than if it has to go up twice as far or three times as far. So how does that also affect the
1: eye openings? Yeah, that's another great aspect to it. And part of it is IC. Part of it is optical technologies like the lasers. You know, we want to have fairly fast rise times or fall times. That's what we refer to in the industry. That's the time it takes for the edge to go from zero to a, to the maximum level. That's what we call as the slope of that signal. So we want to have that within the standards committee have defined to be able to maintain a PAM for a signal along the link. You have to have certain rise fall times on the whole link. And that's what all of the integration of technologies come together to enable that. But if the rise-fall times are slower than required, then essentially to your point, when the signal has to go from zero to all the way to the maximum level, it's going to take longer. And essentially your eye-opening at the very top of the of the link is going to get very shrunk because of that. So you're essentially eating into the margin of the link. And how that would appear is that you may not be able to drive Um, a 10 kilometers link, you may be able to drive much less, or or you may not be able to drive any link at all. So aspects like that have to be very careful from any IC technology perspective, but also from a laser point of view, you know, you raise a really good point, you know, depending on the types of lasers, whether it's using what we call a a DFB, a, a distributed feedback laser, or an EML externally modulated laser, when the laser turns off and on from an optical point of view, it also has its own parameters that define how fast the the laser can turn on. And some lasers can do it slower. Some lasers can do it very fast. So it's a similar concept to rise-fall time, but in the optical domain, they refer to it as chirp. So chirp is another parameter that can distort the eye openings in a similar way what you're saying. So there's both aspects from an IC perspective. The rise fall times have to be very fast as per the standards. And from an optical point of view, the higher the chirp of the laser, the more distortion the signal gets. So you also want to to minimize that.
0: Because these edges have to get from its original location to the intended destination, you end up with a situation, and, and we see that as in this eye diagram, where the middle eye tends to look less distorted than the upper eye and lower eye. And I'm assuming that has to do with those arrival times uh, going from the fully on to fully off or fully off to fully on. Is that why the middle eyes tend to look
1: more symmetrical than the upper and lower eyes? Yeah, that's part of it. The other There's also other physics aspects of lasers. There's, you know, phenomenas such as the relaxation oscillation of lasers, which essentially means when the lasers reach the the highest output color-wise or the highest intensity they're supposed to do, there's a small ripple at the end of it. And that ripple, um, because maybe the, the lasers are reaching saturation point, and those ripples can cause also some... Closure in the top eye opening, and similarly, when the laser is fully turned off at the lowest level, there's again some ripples, and those can cause some more closure than expected. Whereas if the lasers are going from you know the low level to the middle levels, then maybe they're they're in a better spot linearity wise. So typically, those are you know, those can be slightly better than the top and the lower portions of the eye diagrams.
0: Now, as we look at these eye diagrams, we notice that the the edges... Or not just the not even just the edges, but all over the the signal, we see that the signals themselves have some width to them. They're not a very fine line. And that occurs, that that is what is known as jitter, where one bit may act slightly different than the previous one or the next one, or because these eye diagrams are overlays. Any, of the, any bit relative to any other bit. And so you get this line that tends to widen over time. The more bits you have in this overlay, the wider you're going to get, which, ref, which becomes a smaller eye because more of the, shall we say, time is, uh, is taken up by this, these slight differences. Uh, can you explain that a little bit more? in terms of what is jitter and why do do bits tend to, why
1: are they not all identical? Yeah, no, that's another way to look at that. These are all kind of metrics to judge how good or bad the eye qualities are, you know, whether it's in the NRZ, world jitter is very common and we typically measure jitter at the middle of the of the eye opening that's where a far end receiver would be in that space sampling the best position to judge whether a zero was sent or a one was sent so we measure jitter because it's easier in nrz there's only kind of one crossing of the of the edges so you can measure that point and jitter is essentially as you mentioned you know how over time, if the edges are being delayed or or faster, then you can create less eye width inside the eye opening. That just takes away from your margin. When we move to PAM4, the concept of jitter is still there. So the larger the jitter, the lower the opening or the margin in the link. But it's not as easy to measure in PAM4 because there's so many crossings happening. So the industry have come up with some other metrics. One of them is TDAQ, which is essentially a transmitter dispersion eye closure metric that helps to judge how open the, the eyes are or the openings are. So that's another parameter that is very common. Standards like open eye MSA that have their own kind of metrics to judge. They have essentially eye masks for the eye openings, but they all try to. Put out a number that's easier as a metric for anyone to measure to judge how much margin is going to be in the signal. So the concept of jitter is still very much the same. It's just that jitter on its own was an easier measurement in NRZ because of just one crossing. So it's very common to just reflect into jitter and come up with a metric. In PAM4, it gets a little bit complicated. So there isn't one single jitter measurement that you do. You can see the effect of jitter, but to measure the Quality of eye, the industry IEEE defines it as TDAQ, which is a parameter that judges the openings and the margin in the link. There are many kinds of
0: optical modules in use today. Are there any that do or do not
1: support PAM4? In data centers, actually, PAM4 has been very prevalent. They started to use it um, a few years ago. In wireless world, Predominantly from that link from the radio to the equipment, the transition to NRZ, from NRZ to PAMCOR is happening now. And that's what the innovation we are trying to enable. SFP28 is the typical NRZ module. So SFP28 are modules that run 25 gig NRZ. The next node of those modules are called SFP56. So SAP 56 are the modules that support 50-gig PAM4 operation. And and that's what we are working with. The whole ecosystem is trying to adopt those kinds of modules so they could be used in the front hall applications for the wireless to be able to handle all the new demand that is coming from a a subscriber growth and from a data consumption point of view. The signal coming into an optical module is
0: electrical. How does an optical module minimize the effects of the signal coming in? Can it do any kind of cleaning up of that signal? Because otherwise, the the impairments or the differences coming in as electrical signals will
1: pass through or perhaps get amplified. What we call signal conditioners, conditioning the signals from an electrical domain point of view. One of the core things the IC inside a module has to do well and at low power. That's really um, the major job because if you don't condition the signal when it's received, it will not work. The link will simply fail to work. Vice versa, when the signal is received optically into the optical module, it has to be converted back to electrical and then before it is passed on to the equipment or the servers or the ASIC, the module still has to condition it. So the electrical signal goes pristine. Signal conditioning is is a key part of what an optical module does on both the transmit and the receive end.
0: On the electrical side, we've been hearing about data rates of 28, 56, 112 gigabits per second. And there's now talk of 224 gigabits per second. But on the optical side, 100 gigabits per second has been around for years. And we often hear about 400, 800. Now we're starting to hear about 1200. Can you explain the relationship between the electrical and the optical?
1: In order to explain that, maybe one step I want to show is a simplistic area. Even when 25 gig NRZ was prevalent and it still is in most regions there was 100 gig in data centers that was being used but 100 gig in data centers only meant four lanes of 25 gig NRZ so the module itself was a 100 gig module but it utilized four lanes of 25 gig NRZ both in optical as well as in electrical now sometimes the modules also incorporate different wavelengths so they could merge all those 25 gig links, different colors on the same fiber. And that's when the module is still 100 gig. It's still four lanes electrically of 25 gig NRZ, but you can transmit it over a single fiber. It If the module has not that option, Sometimes you have just four fibers coming out of that module, and you still do a 100 gig module, which requires four fibers, and each fiber has a 25 gig NRZ link. So, but the module itself is classified as a 100 gig module. Now, if you think to 50 gig PAM4, the same thing applies. How the industry, so the shift from 25 gig NRZ to 50 gig PAM4 is just happening in data center has happened. In wireless, it's happening now. And the way they will get higher optical rates is the similar aspect, where either they could merge multiple lanes of that 50 gig PAM4, different colors on the same fiber. So you could start to get 100 gig, 200 gig, 400 gig, as well as 800 gig, even today, if you have 8 by 50 gig. You know, that's how you get the 400 gig modules today. So in a way, it's utilizing the same electrical layers and multiplying them and either distributing them over a single fiber or over multiple fibers. Well, Raza,
0: thank you so much for your time. And uh, we appreciate you giving us this tutorial
1: on PAM4 optical transport. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Martin. It was really good to, to talk about it. And thank you for the opportunity.